what a joy it is to see junior hires coming in contact with uh, other junior hires in a controlled way <laughs> and uh, having a blast with it. And really, seriously, what a joy it is to see junior hires in contact with the scriptures and uh, being able to have that opportunity to, to be able to meet Christ at a special place and a special time. And so thrilled to have Cody and Katie with us, so grateful for Bev and traveling along as well with that group. And uh, I love stories. I love stories of God working in people's lives. Uh, I'm a very much a visual person. I'm very much, give me a story over, give me the three points. Um, I just have to say, I'm still kind of living off of the story of last Sunday. I don't know if you're here or not. Um, Wow, what a delight it was to be able to see stories, stories like Anthony Acevedo, who we saw in the, telling his story about being a gang member in Chicago and, and then uh, coming to meet Christ and uh, the radical change and talking about, I guess I think it was like the name of their gang was the Kings or something like that. And they were some bad boys. And, and then him talking about now he is uh, living for the King. So special, very cool. Also, just with those baptisms, the three planned ones we had, Victoria and Aubrey and Colby, just uh, so very cool to see what God's done in their life and them going through the baptism class and being baptized. But because of where we were at last week in Acts chapter 8, uh, we also had uh, 10 spontaneous baptized. Um, just God showing up and never done that here. And yeah, what a joy it was to be able to see Griffin and Sean and Matt and Jordan and uh, Gavin and uh, Mariah and the entire McGranahan family. How special, wasn't that? I mean, uh, man. All of those remind me of the radical truth of redemption. Um, I remember as a teen thinking I really didn't have a very radical story in my life. Uh, here was my story when it came to uh, knowing Christ. When I was seven years old, I heard, heard what I call the field goal verse, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And I still remember standing between a bathroom door and the drinking fountain at a church. I don't even know what church it was. We were just visiting there that Sunday. And it was just for some reason that Sunday, it all stuck for me. And I just knew that, man, the Bible says I'm a sinner separated from God. And I, I don't like that. I, as a seven-year-old, I wanted to be able to, to know that I had a relationship with God. And I was going to spend eternity with God. I wanted that. And I remember praying and receiving Christ as my Savior. That was my story. But then as a teenager, I'm like, you know, I hear these other people like Anthony Acevedo. And they have this rocking, awesome story. And I didn't. In fact, in elementary school, I... Uh, even through junior high, I was kind of just the all-American little boy. In fact, so much so that literally my nickname, this really hurts, in elementary school was Opie. Um, I actually looked a lot like Opie. I even remember I had cut a picture of Opie out of the newspaper and kept it in my little elementary school wallet so that when people would ask for your school picture, I'd show them that. And uh, they thought it was me. And uh, I thought I was a superstar. Um, but I was just Opie. But then it really, all of a sudden, as time came along, I began to realize there was a radical story. 
that had occurred in my life. And it was, if I could sum it up, I'd sum it up this way. I was actually one very bad dude before God. But then I met Christ. And after that, everything was different. Oh, let's do this. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. Grab your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. And I want actually to read 10 verses, uh, some of which we've already touched on so far this morning uh, that Nick had us read. And I want us to uh, read the explanation of the radical reality of redemption that takes place in the life of a person when they come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And this is going to explain it. But then right after that, we're going to go and we're going to see the story lived out in a man named Saul. By the way, one very bad dude. So you in Ephesians? Anybody need a Bible? Thank you, Robbie. Anybody need a Bible? All right, we're going to dig in. Ephesians chapter 2, you there? Let me just read through this and savor this explanation of what redemption is. Uh, this is, by the way, who's writing this? Paul. Who's Paul? What was Paul's former name? Saul. Oh, we're going to talk about that guy. So that, isn't, that, isn't that funny how that works? We're going to read from the same guy we're going to read about in a little bit. And he writes this. Two believers in Christ in Ephesus. And you were dead. Hey, happy Paul. Um. We're just talking about spiritual dead. Look at this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. It's really in the sins and sins. It's sin upon sins. It's not just one oopsie. It's just a piled on reality. And you were spiritually dead in your sins and your sins in which you once walked in them. You were thrown in them. You were walking in them, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Ouch! Does that not hurt? I don't like to read stuff like that. I really don't. Because that's bad news, would you agree? That's bad news. Uh, here in the beginning, it starts out that it's saying that all of us were dead. Not only that, all of us start out spiritually dead, if you will, but it even in here, it, it condemns us, lays the reality out on the table of this. We are actually children of Satan. That's what it says. Believe me, I don't want to say that, but that's what it says. And children of disobedience, and if I think about Satan, Satan was what? A liar and a deceiver. And that's me. Why do we do what we do? Why do we manipulate and lie and deceive at times? Because by nature, that's who I am. And that's who you are. Boy, let's just all like go kill ourselves, huh? But verse four, look at this. But God. Those two words don't mean a whole lot if you don't understand verses one through three. But when you understand the depravity and the gravity of verses one through three, those two words are like so refreshing. Oh, in my predicament, God. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, 
even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and he seated us up with him in the heavenly places in Christ because of the work of Christ. Verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. I love that. God wants to lavish his goodness, his immeasurable goodness. You can't measure it. It just keeps on pouring. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship. Hey, if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, if you've been redeemed in Christ, know this. You are a piece of work. You are a piece of work because you were pulled from verses 1 through 3 and God did a work on you. Yeah. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Good works cannot save me. Good works cannot redeem you. But when we're redeemed in Christ, we were created to get on with it. Lord God, I just pray as we now dig in to the story of Saul. Today is literally, it's not a day of fantastic outline points. Today is a day to revel in a story, a redemption story, a story about someone who we would probably all in here, if we were to compare ourselves human to human, we would say, this boy was way worse than I've been in my life. But God. Oh Lord, may we revel in it today. Savor it today. Hear it today. This is the story of redemption in Christ. In the Redeemer's name we pray. Amen. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Here we go. We're actually going to start in Acts chapter 8. Huh, fooled you. Acts chapter 8. Okay, just a couple verses. Because I want us to start out and get a load of who this boy is. His name is Saul. Acts chapter 8, first three verses. And Saul approved of his execution. Uh, Saul uh, was there at Stephen's execution. Really, Stephen's murder. Oh, really, Stephen's martyrdom. Stephen was a man who was a follower of Jesus Christ. And he stood strong, ran hard after the name of Christ. And he paid his life for it. And Saul was there right when it was all taking place, watching it and condoning it and going, yeah, now that's what should be happening. We want to get rid of those people. We want to take them out. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they all were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. We talked about that last week. Except the apostles, devout men, buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. And he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. I cannot imagine doing that. I cannot imagine having that happen to me. 
Could you fathom in our homes, someone just comes in and authority comes in, and we'll see here in just a second, and having the full authority, the leadership of the day to be able to grab a hold of you and yank you out of your home and drag you off and put you over somewhere and let you rot. Who could do that? I mean, what kind of person does think? But isn't it interesting in our day and age with what's going on across the world, that happens. Oh, we are so blessed to be living in this country. But what kind of man would do that, would haul a a woman, a mom off and let that happen? Who would haul a man off and do what that happen? Uh, Let's pick up chapter 9, verse 1. And Saul, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, the leadership, and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, uh, the way is just another name for believers in Christ, uh, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. One of the things that's important about this in the synagogues, it was in that day, it was uh, common for the followers of Christ to to come and meet at the synagogues. There was a central place where they met. Yes, they met in homes, but over and over again, you see where Paul comes and how things go. They come and they actually meet in the synagogues in a central place there. It's kind of cool with it facility reality down the road but that's what's taking place and so that's why Saul got permission to go there that's where he was going to find those people and so he would go and he would find them and haul them off and drag them away we could just say this Saul was one bad dude Saul was one really really bad dude and if we understand what's going on from Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 we find out that Saul was one bad dude because Saul was one spiritually dead bad dude Saul was spiritually dead. But it's so intriguing because Saul on his own, he didn't know that. He didn't think that. That wasn't in his mind. In fact, in Philippians chapter 3, we find uh, Paul telling about what he was all, how he was wired at this time. And we find in Philippians chapter 3, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, when he's talking about his testimony, he says of himself that he was like the ultimate spiritual man before God. He was the Jew of Jew, the Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He viewed himself, he stated, I was righteous. I was zealous for God. I was blameless. How is it that somebody could think they're in such a right position with the Lord and be so far not? How how can that happen? How can someone think that they are in a right place with the Lord and yet the reality is is that it's like, how? Because we are amazing con artists. The reality is is we are amazing counterfeiters and con artists to our very own selves. Jeremiah 17, 9 says that the heart is deceitful and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's why we manipulate. That's why we'll lie. That's why we get so selfish. 
Why? Why do people do the things that they do? Why do I do the things that we do? Because at the very core reality of it, my heart on my own and your heart, I'm really sorry to say because I don't like to call people out on this kind of stuff like this, but the Bible says your and my heart is deceived and sick in our own status. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And you are spiritually dead. Paul was one really bad dude. And by nature, so am I. And by nature, so am I. Romans chapter 3, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. You know, when I read that in my own very heart, I go, come on, no one? From God's perspective, guess what? No one. I'm stunned by how I and we can just so placate the reality that we have within us. Doug, you are so depressing me. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God. You see, you just read those two words and you go by them and it's like, okay, that's cool, but God. But if you don't understand verses 1 through 3 and the depravity reality here, and, and Saul just brings that to the table, how could a guy do that? Because of Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, because of Jeremiah 17, 9, because the fact that my heart is deceitful, I, it just that's who I am. That's the reality of it. Oh, my word, I'm in trouble. But guess what? God. Booyah, baby. That's the reality of it. And that's why when we see the, the, the badness of the situation, we come about it and we go, God rocks! Big time! Because I'm so depraved, I'm so in need, that only thing that could redeem me is God work. That's it. I can't earn my way. Are you kidding me? It's so bad that I need a God to come into my life. I need a God thing to take over. Saul was one bad, bad dude. But Saul met Christ. Look at verse 3, following. This is the good news. Now, as he went on his way, his way to do what? His way to go grab people and haul them into jail and throw them. He approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Okay, I've got to kind of help us here because oftentimes we read these things and we go, oh, that's cute, like a little light. Bing, bing. Uh-uh. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. Now, I don't know if it was lightning. I don't know what it was. But this was such a flash of light that, oh, let's read the text. And falling to the ground. This is such a flash of light, he put his face to the ground. I mean, it's kind of like, boom. You know, no big deal. This is like a flash of light. Boom. Everybody with me. Boom. I don't know what it did, but it set him to his face, to his ground. That was how big it was. This wasn't a heat stroke. This wasn't, I, I need a Coke. This was something big, something divine taking place here that totally took him out of his shoes and put his face to the ground. 
And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I keep reading. And he said, who are you, Lord? Saul knew this wasn't some guy behind a bush punking him. Okay, he knew that this was a divine event that was taking place. Because he responds in this, he knew this was, this was a God thing that was happening. And in the statement here, it's like uh, this, this divine statement being made, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's a very interesting statement. Because I actually would have think that the statement should be, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting them? But it isn't. It's Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You know, in the depravity of our own hearts by nature, we have an amazing ability to be able to think that uh, when we wrong other people, um, it's not really an offense to the Lord. But I think here, this is just one more reminder in the reality of it, that when we wrong other people, this is an offense to the Savior. This is an offense to our Creator. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's a great question. He says, who are you, Lord? And he said, uh, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Can you imagine if, if we had like a EKG on him while this is all taking place? I mean, this thing had to be like spiking to the top when the light flashed and he's on the ground. His heartbeat just boom to the sky. And then all of a sudden, when he says, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, I think it flatlined right there at that moment. I mean, because really, this is what's going on. Why is he persecuting these people? He's persecuting these people because these people are claiming that Jesus, whom was crucified not too long ago, uh, they're claiming that he rose from the dead and is the Messiah, is the Messiah of the Old Testament. And Paul, Saul at this point in time, a follower of the Old Testament, if you will, at that point in time, he hated this fact. There's no way that Jesus was the Messiah. And then he's like, hey, I'm here. And your whole life just collapses right in front of you. Because the fact that Jesus Christ is speaking to him confirms the reality that everything he was about was wrong. Jesus had risen from the dead. He was the Messiah. He was God in the flesh. And this Harvard PhD was wrong. Wow. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Verse 6, but rise and enter the city and you'll be told what you are to do. Now, this helps us get a little idea more of the, what's going on. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless. <laughs> I wish we knew more of the story of these guys, what came out of all this. And it is they are hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. What do we call that? He's blind, divinely blind. So they led him by the hand, that must have been humiliating, and brought him into Damascus. Verse 9, I think one of the most significant verses in this entire passage. And for three days, 
He was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Who doesn't eat for three days? I love food. Food is my friend. I eat too much, so. Uh, but I'm really serious about that. Who will not drink? What's going on in a person that will cause you not to eat or drink for three days? I think we can gather from this the reality of his life is rock to the very core, isn't it? You, you, you may have experienced the death of someone very close to you where you get a touch of that. Like food becomes irrelevant. Or maybe you've just had life catastrophe experience where the same kind of thing, it just sets you so back that eating is just like, <laughs> friend, not now. Three days blind, no eating, no drinking. What is going on in this man's mind for three days? Um, just as I've thought about this this week, I've, I'm wondering more and more if these three days were the real stake in the ground days that brought Saul to be Paul. How often today do we, and just even the church, uh, uh, followers of Christ, do we, honestly, do we soft pedal the gospel? In fact, I don't know if you may be new here and you haven't been to a church or you've even heard me talk a little bit ago like about the, the, the grandness of the sin problem here. Uh, you may not have been used to that because often we just soft pedal what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. And it kind of turns into really a gospel of all about God is here for you. That, that you would be healthy all the time and never get sick. That you would be wealthy all the time. That all your problems would be gone if you came to Jesus. How often have we proclaimed in such a way, or how often as we as individuals, I'm talking to you, follower of Christ, how often have you and I just sat down, no TV, no radio, shut life down, and for a long period of time, sat before God. And thought. We microwave spirituality. We microwave a relationship with God. And I really just, I, I, I just, three days shut down. That had to change his life. Realizing everything you've been about, everything you've done is wrong. And you've conned yourself and you've conned other people. Wow. 
Application number one. I would just maybe encourage you maybe this week. You just need to shut life down at some time and just get with the Lord. And just start asking, what am I about? Where am I going? What really is the purpose of my life? I mean, seriously, for real. Don't con me. Self, don't con me. And just get with God and his word and just be with the Savior. I just want to encourage you to consider it. Verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight and at the house of Judas, not Judas Iscariot, he's gone. Uh, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. Oh, I wonder if that's part of what he was doing during those three days. Verse 12. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done. That's always interesting, isn't it? When other people are like, so tell me about that guy. That boy is evil. How much evil he has done. And to your saints at Jerusalem, and here, has, here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. In other words, do you have the right name? <laughs> Are we talking about the same Saul? Just want to make sure. But the Lord said to him, I love this, go. No, go ahead. Seriously, Ananias, it's okay. I've got it in control. We're talking about the same address. Go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. You know, we can look at that and kind of go, uh, boy, he got a very, very special calling. And I'd, may I just remind us that, no, actually, he did. I mean, God used Saul, Paul in a big way, didn't he? I mean, like, I don't think anybody else here has written like half the New Testament, right? Okay, good. I'm going to make sure. Um, but may I remind you of Acts chapter 1, God has a thing, God has a thing for his church, and that's the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 2, as we've just been through, that he's empowered his people to do his thing, giving of the Spirit of God, and, and then Acts chapter 3, that's proclaiming the name of Christ. That's all of us, by the way. And so in many ways, Saul's given a very unique, clear uh, call by the Lord, but yet this is all of us. Uh, you are an instrument, friend, in Christ. You're an instrument in God's hand to be used to proclaim the name. That's what we're to be about. Next verse, verse 16. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Ponder that for a while. God shows up and then he tells you, by the way, I just want to let you know, you're going to suffer a lot for me. Boy, that goes against the prosperity gospel. You know, I, I have to say, I've never heard this verse taught by those who proclaim that it's all health, wealth, and happiness when you come to Jesus. And here to Saul, he's told Saul straight up, dude, I'm just telling you, you are going to suffer a lot. Verse 17, so Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul. <laughs> I wonder if his palms were sweaty, if he was kind of shaking and saying that with a bit of fear and intrepidation, this evil man that he had heard about calling him brother. 
Wow. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, he has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, we talked about, I talked briefly on the Holy Spirit thing. And every time we see a very unique occasion in this transition period of time of Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 10, there are certain times where the, the, the laying hands on and the filling with the Holy Spirit occur. We don't see that happening after Acts chapter 10. But here it takes place. Saul's a big guy in the God's redemptive plan. Next verse. And immediately something like scales... Thank you. Uh, Let's do that one more time. And immediately, something like scale. Everybody who doesn't know what you're doing has no idea what that means. That's okay. Uh, Fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. See, there's water last week. He was baptized. Very cool. And taking food, he was strengthened. Saul was one very bad dude, but Saul met Jesus Christ. And you were dead but God. I don't know, maybe you are thinking, you know what, Doug, that's really great for Saul, but you have no idea what I've done in my life. You know, I have no idea what I've been doing in my life. He can't redeem that. Yes, he can. Yes, he can. You may be thinking there's no way that God could use me. There's no way that God could use my past. Oh, yes, he can. Yes, he can. Saul met Christ and he was redeemed and Saul was made anew. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, 17 talks about you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Saul was one bad dude. Saul met Christ. Saul was never the same. Let's just read to the end. For some days, He was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately, I set you up. He proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, he is the son of God. There is one changed life. Just a short time ago, he was taking people that said that and yanking them out of their house, taking them to jail, putting them away for life, and he was fine if they were he was fine if they were killed, and now he's doing it himself. And all who heard him were amazed, <laughs> and said, "Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests?" But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Pause just for a moment there because I think this is a moment where I just want for you to know God can use your past for his glory. Saul, in all this time, he he was an Old Testament uh, Pharisee of Pharisees. And yet all of them, don't have time to go through all of his training. I'm telling you, Saul was like the man. He was the, the, the Stanford PhD, the Harvard PhD. This boy was smart. He was not some country hick, okay? This boy was top of the top. And in all of this, all his knowledge, he's now able to use what he had learned back here. He's now be able to use all of what he learned and all of his experience from here on out for Christ. A lot of times people think this idea that when I come to Christ, everything from here on out is for the glory of God, but all everything in the past is a total waste. Anthony Asvedo, 
gang member who from here on out when he came to Christ, all of the realities and experience of his past, God redeems that to be able to be used. Hey, if you've got an ugly past, join the team. And God can redeem the past for his glory. Oh, full redemption, not partial. Verse 23, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Oh, so much for those friends. But their plot became known to Saul and they were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. These are the, you know, the big boys, the apostles. And they were afraid of him for they did not believe that he was a disciple. Never underestimate that God can bring someone to him. Never underestimate it. And yet still be shocked by it. Because only God could do that. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them on the road how he had seen the Lord and spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. And so he went in and out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Wow. If if your faith hasn't changed you, it hasn't saved you. I just want to say this, man, that boy, there's fruit on the redemption tree in his life. Fruit fitting with redemption. You can see how God has completely changed his life by how he lives on out. Verse 29, and he spoke and he disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when his brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Last verse, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord in the comfort of the Holy Spirit had multiplied. Wow, that's cool. Just simply a story. (laughs) A simple, simple, amazing redemption story. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, same story. Before Christ, you were one bad dude. Then you met Christ. And after that, everything's different. Do you know Christ as your Savior? If not, I want to encourage you to talk to somebody. If you know Christ as your Savior, rejoice. You've been redeemed. Before I pray, just a couple statements. Never underestimate the possibility of a person coming to Christ. Maybe you're heartbroken over someone in your family or someone very close to you that continues to deny Jesus Christ and continues to push away. Remember, you're not the Holy Spirit, but continue to pray for them. Never underestimate. Also, never underestimate the radical truth behind your own redemption story. As a teen, I wanted a cool story. 
I had one. And if you know Christ, you do too. Never lose sight of what you're called to do and be. Redeemed. Lord God, I want to thank you so much just for a time to, uh, oh, kind of simply savor you and your work. God, uh, you're amazing. You, uh, you redeem people like us. People like us who don't deserve to be redeemed. But in your great love, in your great mercy, you've made it available. Wow. Thank you for redeeming fully. Not just little tidbits. Not just partially, but fully. Well, God, thank you for a guy like Saul that just has a story here that helps us to understand and to see and to revel in what you've done. Lord, may we leave here this morning as those who know Christ as our Savior, may we leave this morning reveling in the fact that you have done a, a recreation work. And may we just shout it. And may we live it. And we need your help to do that. Lord, may we, uh, may we just spend more time with you. We pray this in the precious name of our Redeemer.